Welcome to the Coffee, Critiques, and Cracked Pottery podcast. This podcast is a bi-weekly exploration of topics and tangents running from food to literature and politics to pop culture. I am your host, Ray, a card-carrying citizen of flyover country, where things are never quite as simple as you imagine. Well, good morning, folks. I have to make a huge apology to my audience, all of you. I have been quite late in getting this episode together and getting this episode out. And for that, I apologize. It has been um, kind of a wild ride on my end of things for the last couple of weeks. And as a result, I just really haven't had the time to put this all together. So I apologize Today, after I get done recording this bit, I'm going to try to do some editing on my conversation with Summer Wall about the season ender and kind of an overview and critique on Game of Thrones as a whole. The TV show, of course, with some comparatives to the novel series A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. So I just want to say that from the outset. I'm really sorry that it's taken so long. But... I'm hoping that the content is worth the wait, for those of you anyway who are GOT fans. And I don't want to keep us too long here because the conversation with Summer got really long and also kind of fades in and out as her and I get atopical. So um, there isn't a clear ending to that, I don't think, because we just veered way off. To be fair, it's been um, several years since Summer and I have actually sat down and talked at all. And so... This is a little reflective of that, but I have to give her props and I hope you all enjoy the show for being able to stay on topic as much as we did, which we did. We did. It just, there's some places that, um, well, we get a little off. I'm going to do my best to edit out the spots where we kind of go off on tangents, but we'll see what happens. I think I mentioned before that I was going to slow down, slow my roll a little bit on the community calendar. It's not that I don't like the idea. I do. But it also gets to be, it's just sort of gotten to be a huge thing and taken more and more time. And I really only want this section of the show to be about 10 minutes or so. So with that said, this is going to be more of the introductory section. And if something really big comes up that I think people want to pay attention to, I will mention it in terms of calendar stuff, but I'm not going to go crazy like I had been before. Today, later after I get the editing done, or maybe in the midst of getting the editing done, I'm not really sure, I will be doing the recording for the female superheroes and females in comics, both as content creators and characters, show with Alyssa her and I need to get that done. She's actually here, so I'm going to try to get that finished. It may come out come out next week. And then I had hoped to do a special episode on the abortion debate with a decided point of view, but with some other voices than my own. For lots of reasons, this is becoming problematic. And not because I think most of the people I know are supporters of these draconic laws, but because these laws and the social discourse about abortion has become such that people don't want to talk about it 
for fear, out of fear, um, of stigma, of shame, for lots of reasons. And I don't want to traumatize anybody. And I think I wrote a pretty powerful essay of my own about my feelings on the matter. Personally, I'm not sure that I won't do a special show about this, but I'm rolling around in my bean more. If any of you have personal experience with this and would like to be in on a show for that discusses these issues, I would really like to hear from you. So please, you can drop me a line on Facebook. You can reach me at my Gmail account for Coffee Critiques and Crack Pottery, which is ccncpodcast at gmail.com. And just let me know that you're interested or if you don't want to come on the show but you have an essay or something that you'd like me to read, a statement you'd like to make anonymously, I'd be willing to also do that for folks because I think that people have a right to discuss this and I think that for some people it might be very cathartic and I think that while we're actually facing down the barrel of losing access to safe abortion, I think we should be discussing these things. And I want to support people in whatever way I can to discuss those, particularly folks who have personal experience with abortion, um, what their rationale was, what they think about it now, how they processed it, all those sorts of things. I'm interested to hear all of those points of view. I'm not interested in regurgitating anybody's political stance who has not themselves had an abortion or been the partner in an abortion situation. And I'm going to be really frank and honest with the fellas in this conversation who have been a part of it. Your remarks are important, but ultimately it's the female who I think has the strongest narrative here. And that's not to discount yours, but temper your remarks. You're not an incubator physically for men to acknowledge. You're certainly part of the entire issue, but it's like a car accident nobody sees. You know, they have to determine from the after crash liability and who is 60, 40 and why. I think that that's a good analogy for this. So consider that when and if you submit remarks. And that's that. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to get into my show with Summer, which will be followed up like usual with my crack pottery, which I'm not sure today what's going to happen because I'm kind of all over the place still. My head is still a little spinny from all the things that have been going on. Um, but we'll see what I come up with when I get there. Usually I have something to be pissed off about, so I probably won't have any trouble coming up with something. But We'll get to that, cross that bridge when we get there. Howdy, folks. We have reached the critiques part of Coffee Critiques and Crack Pottery. And as I promised on Facebook, my guest today is Summer Wall. She is an old friend of mine. Not meaning she's old, although she is because she's a grandma now. <laughs> um, she's an old friend of mine who is a super nerd 
who is a super bookie person. And when I was looking desperately for someone to do this show about the last season of Game of Thrones and making sort of a comparative analysis between it and A Song of Ice and Fire, which are the books on which it was based, she stood up like a boss and said, Call me in, coach. I'm ready. So, Summer, this is everybody. Say hi. Hello. She's a, she's a super nerd. We've been Guilty. chatting now for a little while about books and TV shows and adaptations here for just a little bit. And we kind of went over a couple other shows that we both really liked. But we're going to knuckle down a little bit here now and talk about Game of Thrones in particular and about A Song of Ice and Fire sort of as a referential to the show. As you guys know that our GOT fans, we just got our, our end of the story, which for those of us who have read the books is the only end that is in existence currently. The rest of the story is still in George R.R. R. Martin's greasy little paws, and we're waiting to get our hands on it. Now, there's been a tremendous amount of controversy about this last season of Game of Thrones in particular, an ever-increasing amount of controversy post-season four, because that's when the source documents ran out, the end of um, the books for A Song of Ice and Fire, and Weiss and and Benninghoff were left to their own devices with a basic plot outline given to them by George for the rest of the books. What me and Summer are going to do is just sort of like range through um, a few of the points that I guess have been made. I've been paying attention. I spend way too much time on the Song of Ice and Fire Reddit. I'm so sorry. But um, and listening to other podcasts in particular about this series of books, because it's one of the finest series of books I've ever read. It ranks right up there with Dark Tower series by Stephen King, which is something that me and Summer were just discussing. So we're going to discuss that a little bit, and there's some controversies, and I think that since we both are on the internet, both myself and Summer, we probably have seen like most of the complaints and the and the Definitely. whining about various plot, plot quote unquote plot holes among other things. Some of the complaints about the acting, although strangely enough, this season it seems to be far less about the acting than it has before. We're going to just sort of like barrel through some of these topics. And we're going to start, I think, with the, let's just start from the back or start from the front. I'm not sure. Let's, <laughs> this last episode or this last season, um, you said you had already listened to my podcast about my walkthrough for episode one. Yep. Um, And we haven't really talked about it. So let's just like discuss. So what were your thoughts about, or what have your thoughts been or your observations, I guess, about game of thrones since episode one of season eight to our final episode six you know just kind of um, give me a, a shakedown i did enjoy the season yeah there's uh, there's a lot of stuff that i thought could have been handled better i liked that you know it starts back out in winterfell pretty much mirroring how episode one of season one starts but you know with the the starks being adults now Pretty much. Right. Even though I think there's still like what teenagers in the book. Yeah. That was, it's interesting. You know, it was fun to, to see them all come back together. Well, who's left anyway. Right. 
I think it set a tone for the season that didn't really follow through. It was kind of more hopeful, and yeah, that kind of went down the shitter. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I, you know, I didn't expect everybody to live through it. It is Game of Thrones. Right. <laughs> but some of the deaths, just not real happy about, even though, well, I know it's not in episode one, but when Liana uh, Mormont dies, at least she, you know, littlest character took out, you know, the biggest bad guy. Right. You know, physically biggest. <laughs> and uh but I was like, I didn't want her to die. And Eric goes, Yeah, but you know, my husband he's like, But yeah, you said she's really not in the books much. I said, yeah. No, but I liked her. <laughs> right. One of those changes that it's like, Yeah, I know she's not that it really in the book all that much, but they changed that and they can keep that one. I like that one. Right. I think that everybody was really surprised by the amount of resonance that Liana Mormont had as a character. She's I, just I, I a do. Little she, badass. She was like she like represents. You know, a, a, it's funny because I sort of see her as like if Sansa and Arya were like melded oh, into one character, <laughs> you would have gotten Liana Mormont. So the girl who knows how to be a lady when she needs to be, but can also be a, like a serious badass when the moment calls. She can I be just, the lady when she has to, but it's not her preferred state. Right. Right. <laughs> she, she knows, she knows a little bit about how to play the politics game clearly, because I mean, if we look at, is it, it's episode two or is it episode one where she calls for John to be made King of the North? Yeah. And, you know, we named you King of the North, and what are or you now? Or was that last season? Maybe that was season seven. But in either yeah, case, season like, seven when she called to make him call, be King of the North. But when he comes, when they have the the oh, you when he bent the knee, she called him out. Yeah, she's like, you. We named you King of the North, and you went south, and you came back as what? Lord of what? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, she was. Really fantastic, and I I really liked that character myself. Although I have to, I don't know. You've seen, I'm guessing, the little bit of an interview they did with with her actress, and she said, "I knew I wasn't gonna live." Yeah, but I, or I wasn't gonna get the Iron Throne since I Liana wasn't gonna get the Iron Throne. I wanted a good death, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's fabulous. This like nine year old girl is like I, you know. And then I got a great death. I mean, she literally got yeah. one of the most heroic deaths in the entire show. Yeah. You know, her and Theon are like, for me anyway, like yeah. on the rungs, the top rungs of the ladder in terms of, you know, heroic deaths as sa- real sacrifices where somebody like really did mm-hmm. what needed to be done in that very moment and knew what it was going to cost them. And I think without regrets, you know what I mean? Because she, she understood yeah. what she was, what she was facing there. Well, she's from the North, pretty much born and bred. If I have to get my life to the North, then I have to. Right. That's just part of living up here. Right. They're, they seem to be a lot more steeped in honor than the rest of the houses. And it's interesting that that's the case because I, I'm sure you've, since you've read the books, there's an interesting dichotomy that seems to be set up by George between the North, who is like a living embodiment of honor mm-hmm. and the veil who talk about it. Yeah. 
right? Because, I mean, the words for House Aaron are how high the honor. Yeah. And yet there's a lot of question about how honorable really any of the lords in the veil besides John Aaron, whom we never meet, right? Yeah. He's dead in the beginning of the first book and in the show. Did, like He's like the only dude who apparently actually was terribly honor bound. There is, there's so much other like undercurrent of backstabbery and weirdness in the veil. Like John Aaron was barely dead and his wife was, was surrounded by wannabe suitors um, mm-hmm. minor lords of the Vale and other vassals that wanted to get up jumped by marrying the lady of the Vale. Like, you know, I mean, that's even though she was batshit crazy. Right. And nobody would have tried that with Catelyn. Yeah. In the North. Yeah. Well, maybe the Boltons would have. Right. They might. Well, let's face it. She would have the Catelyn, especially in the books. She would have killed them probably flat out. Right. Right, she'd have been a much better Penelope from yes. the standpoint of, you know, it would have been, there would have been some difficulties for any, any comers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's an interesting juxtaposition because, of course, John Aaron was Ned Stark's foster father, kind of right? Yeah. Yeah, his mentor and foster father. And mm-hmm. then Lysa Aaron and Kate, Catelyn are, you know, the two different ladies in both places and the interesting way that they're, psychology and even the way that they operate with people in general is mirrored Mm -hmm. by their environment i think is uh, there's so many layers to these books for folks who haven't read the books that and there's so much packed into each book that the people who never read the book it's like yeah they did a great job with the seasons you know season for book one a season for book two but there's still so just vast sea of material that's not in there because there's so much wedged into each book and it flows nicely and it's written very well but there's just a lot crammed in there there's so much going on yeah and some of this stuff it just doesn't even come apparent until you've started doing re- if you read the book the first time you read it for enjoyment if you are really into it and you find yourself compelled you start doing rereads because now yeah. you're trying to p- put together all the places that the plots are seated that you got to in other places in the book where you're like wait i have to go back to b- when did that happen that was in book one i need to go back and reread that so then you're like mm-hmm. you know what i mean if you really get into it then you find yourself it's it could become and has for some people i've literally found phd dissertations on the internet about this series of books like they're and they're legitimate PhD dissertations. Like they're serious literary analysis of these books from various perspectives, making various arguments. But they're like legitimate, you know, academic study of these books because that's the level of writing that you get in this series of books. Which brings me to a point, and and Summer kind of touched on it about the the real difficulty for. The guys, the showrunners for Dan and 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 D to be able to like replicate that book, those books, that series of books, and a TV show, like the amount of chutzpah it took to even suggest that they could, and then to try to actually do it and do it well, is yeah, with with only ten episodes a season, you could easily get two to three seasons out of just book one with the amount of stuff is in there and I didn't expect I didn't expect him to get it all in, in there because there's just it's too much 
there's right. just so many. As long as they get at least the high points right, I'm pretty good with that. Right. And I think like you pointed out, and I think it's been pointed out by book readers, which is funny. This is the other thing that I find that's interesting because this is sort of how it's split in on Reddit is that folks that have just watched the TV show and not read the books are probably more angry about the end of this series than the folks that have read the books. And the reason I think some of that is, and maybe you can back me up on this, Summer, is that as they ran out of um, source material, so somewhere to the mid, somewhere in the midst of seasons three and four, depending on which point of view character we're talking about, they ran out of material to just go from the books that we, some of the plot seeding and some of the character development was really sort of stunted by um, the necessity, it seems, or the difficulties for the showrunners to be able to build character arcs that would take us in a place, take us to the place that the show ultimately ended. I mean, there's a lot of Daenerys fans that are really angry that Daenerys went crazy at the end. A lot of people that are really angry that Jon refused to take the throne See, or that, that it was denied really surprised him. Me. Right? That, really surpri- he never wanted it. He, no. he never wanted to rule anything. John no, he didn't. more like he's happier being a soldier, just not in charge. He had some very simple desires in the early on to be Lord of Winterfell. Like he felt there's some there's some moments in his POV chapters where he, you know, wanted to be Lord of Winterfell and sometimes was angry about his state as a bastard as a result of that. But can't really blame him there. It's not exactly well, right. Bastards aren't exactly well treated. No. Well, and he was treated better than a lot of them, but it still was not, you know, Catelyn's lack of warmth towards him was, I think, an issue for him that he a wound he'd never really. Um, mm-hmm. got over but it's interesting because he gets to the wall and he then he just wants to be first ranger he doesn't want to be the knight commander he wants yeah. to be first ranger and you know he gets put in the stewards and he's upset about that which you know he doesn't want that it takes sam to like explain to him that Jorah mormont wanted him to be was grooming him for leadership that john had what it that Jorah could tell john had the charisma and mm-hmm. the intellect and the skills to be a, a real leader, like a serious leader. But John yeah. never wanted that. He didn't campaign to be commander. That was Sam's doing, which mm-hmm. they get into a little bit in the show. But in the books, it's way more detailed. Yeah. All the politicking that Sam Charlie does behind everyone's back to make sure that John wins that election to the yeah. point he's kind of skimmed over in the show a bit yeah sam has a lot to do in the show but they kind of skim over just how much sam is actually doing behind the scenes scenes. throughout the books same with pod podrick Payne. i think you know pod is a is a little underutilized but sam you know and i liked what some of what they did for sam because it's yeah. kind of wish fulfillment for those of us who love sam as a uh-huh. character right but at the same time you know there's a lot sam tarley is really a very astute intellect i mean he's really it's not just that he reads he's also super hyper of he's, he hyper understands of, what he's reading 
right? And he's hyper observant of people. Yeah. Um, like a lot of people who grew up in an abusive household, you know, Sam's childhood was, it was exceptionally abusive. His father was yeah. a horrible person. And <laughs> so Sam like learns to anticipate and like read people because he's, it's, it's required for his survival. He had to learn how to read this very volatile and angry father of his. So he, you know, is really good at the politics side. Like he's a match intellectually for politics to Sansa and with slightly more pragmatism. You know, Sansa has very much, I think, by the end of the show, um, yeah. kind of absorbed. I was going to say at the beginning of the show, so not politically astute or no. even really aware. Not even aware. She didn't want to be aware. She was really comfortable to just sort of be um, ignorant. Pretty. Yeah, be pretty. Be, be a charm a, on the arm. Be decorative. Yeah. Yeah. And she and she learns pretty quickly that there Cersei had points. You know, that's one of the things nobody really wants to own up to either, is that despite the fact and I'm not an apologist for Cersei Lannister, don't get me wrong, she's a monster. <laughs> she but, <is. clears throat> but that Cersei, doesn't necessarily make everything she said wrong. You can still empathize with Cersei through the POV chapters in the book. I mean yeah, she kinda. You know, there's things about her that are, there, there, you know, she gets married off yes. without her choice to um, Robert Baratheon, who did nothing but hate her because she wasn't Lyanna. Yeah. And who was a drunk. What a way for a successful marriage to start. Right? Right? He was a drunk and an abuser and a whoremonger. Like, he, like, he just, there was nothing for her to find refuge in that marriage except for what power she could eke out yeah. of her position and you know because she had been the only reason she was in that position is because she was a woman she was powerless she was damn certain not going to live that way and i there's a part of me that you know I, I, that was where i guess i found the most place to have empathy for Circe is to be marginalized to the point where and you see this with women um you see it with anybody really who becomes almost Stockholm syndrome, right? To the power structure yeah. that they're being victimized by. It's, she represents fairly well um, internalized misogyny, female, and you know, female misogyny. Yeah, pretty internalized. much, yeah. She hates, you know, men. She doesn't respect women. She has some issues with self-loathing. And, and despite the fact that she has some redeemable qualities, that one of them is her motherhood that before the end of the books and certainly before the end of the show, we see her sort of abdicate the one thing that she, everyone agreed she was good at was loving yeah, her despite children. Despite everything else, she still loved her children. You know, um, yeah. there's some argument to be made for the fact that she cuddled Joffrey to the point where then Robert's abuse and neglect of the boy allowed him to flower into the monster he became. But she loved him, certainly. Yeah. You know, he wasn't just a tool to her. She, and she loved Marcella and Tumnin, too. You know, but at a point, she just, she gave up, I think, the one thing that made her, I think, made her weak. I think that was part of what doesn't get into, and we don't get to that point, because in the books, Tumnin is still alive, and Marcella is still yeah. alive, that we don't really get to see what those what happens to those two children, what it does to her in terms of armoring her and that last shred of what makes her human and relatable 
what where how we get from point A to point B entirely. Like we don't yeah. really get to see it, but the you know the pieces are all there from Clash of Kings. I think the mm-hmm. second book in the series when Tyrion decides to marry Marcella off to Quentin Martell. <laughs> yeah, like, like you're like, oh, really? Um, and and Cersei's furious, like understandably, because it was same thing was going to happen to her that happened, you know, it happened to her daughter, has happened to her. At least that was her fear. You know, um, yeah. Oberyn tries to waylay that fear a little bit when by while also sticking a knife in her because she's a last in a stir and twisting it like we don't kill little girls in Dorne. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, he's kind of like, yeah, we don't do that in Dorne because we're not assholes like you. Um, which, <laughs> you gotta love, you know. Yeah, but, I loved loved Oberon, and I wish he would have had a bigger part in the show because he's got a much a larger more. presence in the books, and yeah. it's like I wish because he was cast so well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wish they would have just give us just a little bit more. Well, and that's it was fun like, to watch. Right. And I'm just going to say it. Yeah, everybody says it. The book readers, like if we can, the book readers to to look at the show and tell you where the failings are. Like what, <laughs> like led you to you show, show watchers to go, what the fuck? Danny was a hero and now she is a sinister monster queen. And John was going to be you know, a Targaryen king, the prince that was promised, and now he's, like, banished behind the wall. Okay, so here's the deal. In order to get from that place to the end, or from the the places that you are introduced to those characters and the books to the end of the show, there's some really important characters and a couple really important plot lines. And the first one that comes to mention, because we just talked about the Martells, is the Dorne Mm. plot. Yes, Completely missing from from the well, not completely missing. There's just a little bit in there, but oh, it's messed up though. Yeah, and it's like that's not how it was going on. Yeah, we Quentin is not supposed to marry Marcella in the books. She's gonna marry someone else if I remember correctly. And then they're supposed to they Dorn initially. Daenerys was promised to Quentin at her birth, Mm -hmm. and Quentin goes to Essos to woo her on behalf of his his father Doran mm-hmm. the 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 ruling prince of Dorn and gets turned into you know <laughs> a french fry I'm not going to explain how that happens. I don't want to spoil the book, but he it doesn't work out for Quentin <laughs> at all well. <clears throat> He does make it into Daenerys's bed, but not in any kind of way any of us would want to. <laughs> so, like, you miss out. There's some things that are missed in the Dorne plot that are really important because of how it dovetails with Varys's plot and how it also introduces what eventually became what you saw of Jon in the whole last season, except probably the last of the last episode last two episodes maybe is there is in the book a suggestion that Rhaegar Targaryen's first son was by a Larry Sam was or I can't remember that's not her name but I can't remember her name right now off the top of my head actually was spirited away and another baby was swapped with him like Bran and Rickon survived the 
siege of Winterfell because Theon found the Miller's children and burned them instead. So Mm -hmm. the argument is that Aegon um, would have been Aegon the fifth was actually spirited away and taken by Rhaegar's best friend, John Connington to Essos and raised as a commoner in Essos with the intention of coming back to Westeros and conquering. And there's kind of two sides of this, which is first they wanted Viserys to invade Westeros and Aegon to deliver the people of Westeros from crazy Viserys. Cause everyone knew at this point that Viserys was nuts. Yeah. Completely. And um, completely he really, nuts. he legitimately was um, and, yeah. and a victim. They of, do a pretty good job in the show, but it doesn't quite meet how freaking crazy he is. In the what books. a creeper. Just, and what a creeper yeah. he is. Creepy. And so, you know, you miss like, there's that whole part. So they put, Fake Aegon, everybody calls him, because John, if you, you know, R plus J equals, mm-hmm. or R plus L equals J, that fake Aegon, or Aegon, um, young Griff is what he's known as in mm-hmm. the books, is his his legal pseudonym, so that people don't know who know who he is, but he isn't really. Um, they just sort of, like, looped him into John, and part, gave part of his, his quest, or his character arc to John, and gave part of his character arc to Cersei and a really crappy version of Euron Greyjoy. Oh. So it I love the actor who plays who, Me too. But yeah, they really Wow, because like Yeah. yeah. So that up. This is the thing about why there's such a radical disconnect, is because there's a whole lot of character development between here and here that one didn't get displayed very well in the show. And only because, I mean, there, you can't, there's no room. Adaptations are like that. Yeah, there's, there's no a, way. There's only so, so much, much room, room in a, in the show. Especially with such plot heavy material. Yes. And for these characters in terms of character arc, but there is seeds for the people who are complaining that there is no indication this was going to happen to Daenerys. I just want to point out that when her brother was murdered in front of her by her husband, it didn't she, even fucking phase her. She didn't really get super upset about that. And yeah. in the books, she kind of doesn't either, but she immediately rolls into what I have termed as a form of post-traumatic stress disorder, or it, it is a form of post-traumatic stress disorder, um, survivor guilt, and takes on what was Viserys's dream for her own. Yeah. And for a good portion of the books that are extant, she goes back and forth between wanting to be the dragon and accepting that she is a Targaryen in the last one, and it's res- her responsibility to win back Westeros, and wanting to just stay in Essos and live a simple life. Yeah. To the point where that's part of the reason that she sent Dario Naharis away is that she knew that if she didn't, she would probably not fulfill her destiny. That she, her desire to just be Daenerys was strong enough that he was a temptation that she could not afford. Marrying his Zorlorek was easy because she didn't love him, but she had the capacity to love Dario Naharis and Mm -hmm. kind of did a little. And she knew that it would be really dangerous or detrimental to her end goals if she continued her relationship with Dario. And so you see that struggle in the books. It's portrayed a little bit in the show, but not, I don't think, clear enough that Daenerys is at war with herself, really. I mean, yeah. you know, is that it seems like reasonable. Did you feel like they set that up very well? 
in the show not very well it doesn't it doesn't really come across i mean you get a hint of it like you said, you've read the book you don't you're not really watching for it so right I don't think you see it but right i honestly don't know anybody who's watched the show without reading any of the books <laughs> right all of my friends are well nerds really geeky like me we're all nerdy but so there's that you you know, there's a little bit, there's some missing context for Danny and how she gets to that point. Um, and in the same way that when Drogo dies and she's responsible for Drogo's death. Yeah. Um, you, you, and not entirely. Granted, Drogo's lifestyle is also part of what <laughs> Drogo's responsible for his death. And I'm not going to dismiss Miriam Mazdor's role in Drogo's death, but. At yeah. the same time, his response to the attempt on Danny's life was to deal with it like Dothraki do, which is rape, pillage, and murder people and steal their shit until you have enough money to do what you want to do, which that was buy ships to take Daenerys across the Narrow Sea to kill the people that had the Iron Throne. And that, I mean, that's literally, that's, she keeps harping on him. And then that happens, and then he's like, "Okay, we're going to do this thing, right? I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna go kill those people because somebody went after my wife, who I love." And mm -hmm. she, whether it's right or wrong, I think Daenerys internalizes that too, because when it's all said and done, she comes out of it. She's calling herself a call. You, just, yeah. you know, Viserys was a dragon. He dies. Daenerys decides she's the dragon. Call Drogo dies. Daenerys decides she's a call. Police, mm -hmm. but in a call in every way except gender yeah so she is because this is a main theme in the books that like aria is sort of like your hat tip <laughs> right to identity playing a part in the character development of all of these characters because she's like the most overt right yeah, questioning argument about identity and how identity is formed and how we respond you know what i mean how we build our own identities and how we feel about ourselves yeah. And John and Danny are like side conversations to this main question about identity and what does it mean to be who you are and be authentic to yourself. And John is trying to figure out who he is, but he has he thinks he knows, but he has no idea. And Danny doesn't know who she is. And she just keeps soaking up people that die around her into herself. Yeah. She like she takes much. pieces pieces of them and puts them in herself to remember them or because she feels responsible or whatever the case may be. So, you know, Daenerys coming to Westeros and going crazy, I don't see it necessarily as crazy so much as I see it as the result of sustained and continual episodes of trauma that she never really gets to heal from. So she's... It's the, it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. She's just, that's it. Fuck it. She, yeah. She, her fuck it meter was full. Full. She's done. That's it. And you think about this. Okay. So like, and, and this is a funny thing is like, I thought about this. <clears throat> I was going to write an essay about it, but then I kind of backed off. But for Reddit, <laughs> I just chickened out, I think. But if you look at Daenerys in particular, because what I struck on about the thing about that it, when Viserys dies, she becomes a dragon. And when Drogo dies, she becomes a call. Mm -hmm. If you look, I, I want, as I'm doing another read of the books, I'm paying way more attention to the people who die around Daenerys that she's close to and what they say to her in her, in their last hours or what their, what the context of their relationship is. Yeah. But if you look at the last scene 
before the attack on King's Landing, what does Masande say to her? Dracaras. Which means burn them all, right? Yep. What does Daenerys do? Burns them all. So when Miss Sandy is killed, Daenerys takes on that directive, just like being a dragon, being the call. She takes on Miss Sandy's directive. And mm-hmm. you, she acts it out because she has filled herself with all of this loss by filling herself with the angst and the disappointment and the anger and the ambitions and the sadness of all these people that she's known that have died that were with her, right? Mm-hmm. Who've been a part of her life. And she, yeah, she snaps. I, it's, I don't know that it's any different than like a clock tower shooter, what Danny does at that moment. I mean, honestly, like she just, like you said, her fuck it meter was full, but like she, you know, you can only suffer so much trauma in your life before the post-traumatic stress disorder becomes a monster you can't control anymore mm-hmm. if you don't get help. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not like anybody was actually trying to help Danny with her trauma. No. Trying to help her com- you know, finish her goals? Sure. But help her figure out what's wrong with her or you know, help keep her from becoming another mad Targaryen. Nobody really does anything about it. No, at the you best they do. And expect that, yeah, it's probably going to happen. Yeah, the best that they can do towards the end is try to, they try to manage her instead of get her to open up and talk about her losses. Yeah. And accept that loss is a part of life and everybody has lost some, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I see it as a, I see, I can see where Daenerys went that way, but I understand why show run, show viewers only felt cheated and suddenly were like, well, this isn't the Khaleesi I know. Although I'm going to say this and it's going to be a hot take and I, I want to know what <laughs> Summer thinks about this. I think our best analog to Daenerys' behavior is Tywin Lannister. That's, that's pretty, pretty on the spot. Yeah. Really is. Because. She's a little bit more emotional than Tywin. She's, she's a little more likable, right? Yeah. De- well, she's definitely a lot more likable than Tywin. He's really smart, and he does what he needs to do to get what he wants done. But other than that, he doesn't really care. Yeah, and Tywin Lannister, up to this point, is with the exceptions, of course, of Ramsay Bolton. But Ramsay Bolton's <laughs> violence is very personal. You'll yeah. notice, right? Yeah, very. Um, Tywin, on the other hand, it has committed war crimes on a number of occasions or ordered the commission of war crimes on a number of occasions. And he has like quick defenses for this, like the Red Wedding in particular, right? Well, what is the death of 20 people against the deaths of 20,000? Yeah. We were going to win the war Anyways, this just made it faster and less bloodshed, which is bullshit in some respects. I mean, it's true on a on the outside, right? I mean, like that stacking bodies. But at the same time, he's a monster. Yeah. And, and the reason we don't like his ends justifies the means behavior is because he's killing Starks, right? Yeah. <laughs> But Daenerys, it's okay the ends justify the means because she's burning Astapur because they're slavers and she's burning 
yunkai because, because yeah, they're because slavers. They're evil. The people that she's taking out are evil. Right, or, which is our, the our definition. So yeah, that's fine. It, so people who watch the show, I think there's a level of meta to this whole book series that George really would like to engage the the readers who are open to it is for us to check our own head about how we judge the fitness and the rightness or the gray, the black or white of a situation and the way that we approach leaders and ourselves and everyone we know, because mm-hmm. there's a fantastic analogy and a fantastic side-by-side comparison just to think about that when you look at Tywin and, and Daenerys is and and Tyrion makes a point to John while she was killing evil men we were but when yeah. she runs out of evil men then what or when she's the one that's deciding who's evil and first it was slavers but now she's going to liberate the freed peoples of Westeros because what she's yeah. going to burn down everywhere like because they're in chains metaphorical change you know you, it's a slippery slope argument and it, and it it's an interesting, I thought it was interesting when I started thinking about that whole, you know, the ends justify the means and Danny being really employing that, particularly in her last speech, right? Before, after the conquest of King's Landing, what she yeah. says sounds really like that. Mm-hmm. Then, and then Tyrion's conversation with John, which by the way, the dialogue in the last episode sucked balls, but that was like one of the few scenes it that despite the, yeah. Despite the shitty dialogue, at least what Tyrion was trying to say came through. Yeah, it did. And I think a lot of that has to do with Peter Dinklage, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. You could probably give that man the worst dialogue ever, and he could get the point across. Right, he still figured out how to convey what he needed to convey. Um, and um, so it was, you know, it. then you're like, oh, wait, when you think about you put those things together, it's like, no. And Daenerys... This is the thing, and here's the real hot take, folks, is that people are neither fully evil or fully good. Everybody's both. And George has made no bones in any of his interviews, conversations about the books and his characters and the world. He has said over and over and over and over that what makes a story compelling is a heart in conflict with itself, which I think comes from his love of Faulkner, because Faulkner said that first, if I remember yeah. right. I think so. And when you have somebody who is whose heart is in conflict with itself, in other words, doing the what's the right thing to do, you get people who do gray shit, or who, when you take the balance of their actions, turn gray. Danny did some really great things. She did. And for the right mm-hmm. reasons. She did some great things that weren't for necessarily for the right reasons, but it worked out for her in the end. But she also did some terrible things. And his stories or Lorak is one of the few people that we get in the book who actually stands up to her and says as much, which yeah. is, you know, you did kill a bunch of wise masters. It's true. But some of those people didn't really like the system either. Yeah. But you were indiscriminate about it. And if you had asked us or we had engaged in some kind of conversation, there might have been a willingness to make incremental changes, right? Or to change things or to, but you didn't even do that. Like you didn't give us any choice and you did kill innocents, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, but we wipe it under that. Well, anybody who owns a slave is evil. Well, 
that you can't necessarily say that it's easy to say that in this culture. I think in America, we've become so revision attached to revisionist history that we want to say that slavery was this terrible evil and that everybody who owned slaves was terribly evil and evil is evil is evil. Well, we, anybody, any of us and all of us who are white in this country, unless our ancestors were white and came to this country after the civil war, were likely slave owners or profited from slave ownership. Which means that we're all evil. Like, we're all born of that evil. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, I don't think any of my ancestors were in the States before the Civil War. But that still doesn't mean that none of my ancestors owned slaves. I have Viking ancestors. Right. And they had slaves. And it doesn't make it any less horrible because they were white people. Right. You know, a slave is still a slave, and owning another person is still owning another person. Right, right. So you know, it we have this like weird justification that it doesn't matter, kill everybody because they owned a slave, and um, you know, and and we'd like to say that, but the reality is that sometimes things are just culturally the way they are until they learn better, and. Sometimes the best way to ameliorate those situations is to teach, right? And, and show. We really, really can't use absolutes when dealing with people, plain and simple. With human beings, right? You really right. can't. You really yeah, can't. You really can't. And I love that um, George R.R. R. Martin is one of the few authors I've come across who really just kind of hammers that point home. Right. All his characters are, are complex. There's no one-dimensional character in his book. Yeah. None of them. They're all yeah. very complex. Yeah, this person may be evil, but, you know, they do some things that aren't that bad. And this person is supposed to be a good guy, but they do some pretty evil shit. And nobody's fucking perfect. Plain right. and, simple. and people are complex animals. Mm-hmm. And there's no getting around that. And even for the sake of a, a you know, tidy storyline, he doesn't compromise on that. There's, that's makes it relatable. It's what makes it so engaging to watch or to read right is because they're people you want to know what happens to them and you can relate to them you can't relate to everybody because someone's like yeah no i mean who's going to relate to ramsey bolton well if they do i'm not sure if i want to know them (laughs) right (laughs) right Mm -hmm. i mean and ramsey and john are a good indicator i mean because they're both bastards yeah they're they're an excellent um both ends of the stick, of right? Life. Yeah. That this shit's is... psycho crazy evil and kind of wishy-washy wants to be good, but and... all over nice guy. Yeah, he's too nice. He is. And the evil he that is, is done by John. Is. Yeah, the, the the bad things that happen because John does not have the moral courage to. And then the, the interesting thing about John, too, is that he doesn't follow any rules like rules don't exist to him and and nobody calls him out on that really he's got even even after they kill him he still has this kind of naivete about him where he just expects people to be at least somewhat as nice as he is right you know there's there's a general code for things and everybody should follow that into that code makes that assumption and then when it doesn't work out well well but yeah what do you mean 
What do you mean they're going to shoot? They're going to shoot Rickon while he runs across the field. What do you mean this is like? And Sansa tried, right? She's like, I didn't. I tell you that he was a fucking monster. Mm -hmm. Hello. Yeah. I just it's it's interesting. So the whole arrival of Danny losing her shit finally and burnerating, burninating. I heard that. I love it because burninating the land. Yeah, Trogdor reference because you know why not? So um, exactly right. He burninates King Landing, King's Landing, and all the innocent people. It's a moment. It's that moment where we exercise the nuclear option as a person and burn down everything that mattered to us. And I think a lot of us nuclear from orbit, just to be sure. Right? Can honestly, if we are honest with ourselves, look at our lives and look at. I mean, the scale is much different. We don't have dragons, but um, <laughs> definitely. But but we've done that in our life. We have. And it didn't make us crazy. And it didn't make us, well, hopefully it didn't make us evil. It we might not think so, but, you know, the survivors of the A-bomb and a they probably have a very different opinion. View of it. Well, and I think more in terms of just like interpersonally people, you well, know, yeah. relationships that we've nuked. <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, and then afterwards. I pour napalm on that sucker and bomb it from the air. Right. So, you know, I, I feel bad for, I definitely still feel empathetic towards Danny, even in her last moments where she has had some crazy shit happen to her. That's going to affect anybody. It's it's not necessarily, she's a Targaryen. So of course she's going to go mad. It's like, take a look at what fucking happened to her. Yeah. She was like, what, 13, 14 when she's married off? Sure, yes, yeah, 13, married to a, a barbarian who part of that marriage without her consent also equals sex without her consent. For quite some time. Right. And then Before she, she decides, well, you know what? I'm going to make the best of this. And the only way to get them to listen to me is, yeah, we're going to do this. And exactly. Yeah, he does eventually fall in love with her and she falls in love with him. But that doesn't change how shit fucking started. No, it doesn't. And she's just, she's just, and she's had people trying to kill her her whole life. Well, her brother was psychotic. And, and she was left in his care. Mentally, right? physically terrible. Abusive. Until he died. Yeah. I mean, and, and so she's like never, and she didn't have parents really. No. You know, and every I, time she's ever felt safe or loved, something comes along and completely fucks that up. Yeah. And it, usually something it. And, outside of her. Yeah, and, and constantly losing your feeling of safety over and over and over again. That's yeah. going to make anybody snap. Yep. I don't so, care if you have, you know, a family line of saints. You know, right. Eventually that shit's going to, you can't deal with it. Right. So I, my hot take is that I actually like the last three episodes of this season because it's the closest thing to what I think the actual text is going to look like. Mm-hmm. At least in major beats, right? And re major story beats. I think it yeah. makes sense. With the exception of we don't have the Dornish plot. We're not getting the Eldritch Apocalypse in the show that we're going to get in the books because Euron is a, a Kuzuhulu-loving <laughs> shaman, magician, sorcerer, freak job, pirate guy. <laughs> and I think that about sums it up. Right? And he's, I think... 
that I think we're we're all in for a treat because I'm I'm just like anticipating Euron's storyline being just fabulous and horrifying because it is. It's like you get in these books in the last two books that are extant. Um, you really get a taste of this, right? Because mm-hmm. you get these political intrigue chapters, chapter, chapter, Danny chapter, John chapter, Tyrion chapter, right? Uh, 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 Quentin chapters, you get, um, um, a couple of the, the Dorn of the Sand Snake chapters, you get some Cersei mm-hmm. chapters, like you get, and Jamie chapters, like you get these things. And then suddenly they'll slide in one of these chapters from either Euron or Victorian. <laughs> where it's like you are in a different book. You've just opened a, a chapter of Lovecraft. Hi. Yeah, and you know, people, it's like, well, Euron's just fucking crazy. It's like he is kind of crazy, but honestly, I think it's more of the fact that he wants to do what he wants to do, and he just doesn't give a shit what you think about it. Well, he's addicted to an a hallucinogen. <laughs> okay, so he's, he's addicted to everything. He is taken. Uh, uh, shade of the evening and mm-hmm. tripping all the time so like that's the other thing about his chapters his povs i you're never really sure if he's hallucinating this shit or it's real until like he wakes up kind of and there's blood or he's sticky or they describe him like covered yeah. in blood because he like goes into like his you know into the cabin of his ship and then he comes out you hear screaming and then he comes out and he's covered in blood and then he and he's just smiling and acts like and nothing's a big deal we're just gonna keep doing whatever we were doing before i mean he's like he is really terrifying and he thinks he's a god but he's he such thinks, an engaging character he is he is he, he's terrifying so like we're <laughs> We've just been, that's been robbed from us and was robbed yeah. from that character, like, really. He was such a good character in the book, and they really just dropped the ball on that in the show. And I understand, like I said before, I understand there's only so much that you can cram in a season. But he's kind of the crucible, I think, on which yeah. a lot of things rest. Like, when, here's an example, like when Bran says that, now, first of all, we, we need to dispel this for those of you who are just show readers and have read the books. The Night King does not fucking exist in the books. No, he doesn't. But when Bran says that, you know, the undead want to erase the memory of man, of humans, of the Andals and the First Men, like, they want to erase them, really. Yeah. I... Part of me wonders if that isn't in some small way a part of something we're going to get a hint of from Euron later as Euron's plot comes into fruition. Because what you don't know because Euron's not portrayed as he is in the books is that he actually goes to his plan is to go to Old Town and burn down the, the, the Citadel where maesters are trained and where all the yep. written history of man is. Yep. So what is interesting is that I think that in some respects Euron was replaced by the Night King for that crucible on which Bran's plot becomes so important. Um, that that was a, a really big disappointment for me for this last season. Bran's got all this power being hmm. the Three-Eyed Raven, and he is severely underutilized. Yes. I mean, if he puts his mind to it, he can see anything, yeah. and they don't use that. And it's like, seriously, you've got someone who could use his mind and fly a bird into Cersei's bedroom. I mean, you if have, he wanted to. Right? You have metaphysical Google. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not using it. Why? Yeah, right? Like, 
I, and then, and I'm not going to say that this has anything to do with the actor because I think Isaac did a great job in the few scenes that he's allowed to actually have dialogue that isn't like super creepy and robotic. (laughs) Um, when he's actually like participating in stuff and, and you you get a sense as he's finally doing the last of his like software updates, his, his, (laughs) his firmware update from becoming the three eyed crow that he, that he actually, you know, um, you get more of him. He's more, a little more responsive and a little less cryptic and maybe a little more integrated between what's Bran and what is Blood Raven, right? Like, yeah. you get you get this sort of sense of things. But, like, he's kind of a broken eye win button if you all you have to deal with is, <laughs> is the night kick, right? Yeah. But if you think about it from the standpoint that there is definitely some connection between the others um, and the children of the forest, and then by that, the weirwood net, and Three-Eyed Raven. And if you read the books on a second or third read-through, you will find that Euron Greyjoy is more than likely a failed version of Bran. He seems to be. And I'm yeah, happy had, I'm not the only person who thought that. No, that's like that's a pretty that's a pretty standard take now from most of like the serious theory crafters and like meta analysis of, of I try the to text. stay out of the black hole of Reddit because yeah, I've been there for hours and then yeah, I know. <laughs> theories i'm still reading theories um but uh-huh. he but he is um he had dreams just like brand green seer dreams and he dreamed of flying as a crow and he dreamed of the tree i mean like, there's a stuff and you know yeah. he takes his sigil is a crow mm-hmm. they call him crow's eye right like yeah. all this stuff about him is like and his in his sigil is a bleeding eye with a crow and so, like, there's, like, there's things about Euron that he may have been a failed attempt at what Bran becomes. And that in that failure is kind of where he gets fucked up. So if you, if you, you see... see the, I thought the books were, were heading towards a confrontation between Euron and Bran. Oh, I'm sure they... I, I sort of think and that I that really is... I really hope yes. that plays out in the books. I cannot I, wait. See, and I think that that's part of why we got, like, the, the, the Night King. And so you don't... You don't really understand quite, we don't get a very accurate picture of the entire pressure cooker under which Bran is going to have to like really do the hard, the heavy lifting against the undead and whatever it is that Euron cooks up with his attempt to um, summon Krakens and (laughs) the drowned god. Like, because yep. he's like a man on a mission. He intends to like do this thing. Well, the show, what season is it? Is it in season three or four? Like, we get just a little hint of that and then it just it's it disappears. Like they forgot about it. Yeah. When he first shows well, up, you kind of get the sense that some, something's about. And then it's like, what did you guys do that for? Because that yeah. got to play very well on screen. But then they needed, you know, like two more seasons, which uh, yeah. they weren't going to do. But and that's I, I'm going to save that. I'm happy with a few more seasons. I'm going to I'm going to save that for my hot take at the end of this conversation. But we so if you look at the Dorn plot and all of this stuff that was going on there with Duran Mortel and all that he was trying to do to like be on both sides of a comp- of a war. <clears throat> with the ultimate hope of putting one or more of his children in reach of the iron throne um yeah. either a mere well married to either daenerys if, and so therefore quentin would be king mm-hmm. 
or marrying fake Aegon in which Arianne would become queen. Yeah. Um, so Dorne, and the, there's a huge like bunch of shit you just missing. Um, the fake Aegon thing all together. And then you miss Tyrion's descent into being a bad guy, which has to, I think, play some part in Daenerys too in the, in the show, but we don't get, and we won't get until the books come because Tyrion goes from kind of a, um, misanthropic want to be misanthrope right he wants to not like everybody but he does have a soft spot as he says several times for cripples bastards and broken things and um but by the end of the end of um future crows he is kind of getting over that yeah and really doesn't care about anybody but himself and i think some of that is his guilt for having killed his father um and some other things, but he is turns into a kind of a shitty person, and he he causes some problems. He sets some plots in motion for um, fake Aegon that I think in the end will be a, a fake Aegon's undoing. But so if he gets uh, hooked up with Daenerys, I doubt highly that he's not gonna you know feed her full of bullshit too, which might explain why we're all asking how did Tyrion get so dumb? Because in the books Tyrion's not actually dumb. He's playing these characters. He's playing them like they're pieces on his game board. Yeah. In the same way that Doran Martell is playing the other side of that field like pieces on his game board. Which I think is an interesting kind of thing which will more than likely play out in the books, but we just didn't get in the show. So it's like, there's so many little pieces that might've informed all these other plots. Like why is Tyrion so stupid? Why did Varys, why did this happen with Varys? What happened to the sand snakes? Why is Euron such a shitty character and pointless? Why did Cersei (laughs) get pregnant? And then that didn't really have any, why did that not inform the story in any way? Like, like it's a plot point. Clearly that must happen in the books. But, like, what importance does it serve to the, like, overarching plot or even Cersei's character development? We have no idea because they just sort of dropped it into the story in the show and then never developed it. Yeah, never went anywhere with it. So, you know, there's things. And some of it was because it was super ambitious of them to do this. But this is my hot take on on this season and everything since the end of season three, middle of season four. And it's, it sounds a little tinfoily and maybe a little conspiracy theorist, but um, I'm okay with that. One, and we all have to acknowledge, is that these actors, whether we, you know, we feel like, you know, we have six or eight episodes or ten episodes and, and it's a year till the next. Can you imagine what it's like for these actors who have been basically Game of Thrones has completely swallowed their lives for the better part of a decade? Yeah. Now they want to do other projects, right? They want to do other projects and they want, you know, they don't want to just be known for that show. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that there was some rumblings from some of the cast members. And most of the, most of the showrunners have other regular projects that want to get, that they wanted to get out of it. But I'm going to say this about D and D HBO offered them two more seasons, like back in season six, they were told they could have two, at least two more years to yeah. finish the show properly. George um, asked them to take those seasons so that they could actually finish the story properly. But having watched Practic Greenlight and um, several other things, <laughs> I know that intellectual properties like this 
like getting movies made or getting TV shows made and the rest of it, sometimes it takes five years before you ever see anything actually happen. Yeah. So while everybody's conspiracy theorizing that George has the books done and has been waiting for the end of the show, they're missing the whole point. That's not the case. George isn't done with the books. He's done but with the books. They'd be out. The two showrunners, Benninghoff and Weiss, have, were in negotiations clearly for and about Star Wars during the merger and acquisition of Fox by Disney. Yeah. They wanted to be available to do Star Wars. And it didn't have anything to do with they thinking they could get the show done in time or any other thing or do even do the show truly justice. I can't for the life of me believe that they actually think that what they did with this last season in particular counts as doing the story justice. Particularly since they made jokes about the fact they were going to go someplace where there wasn't any internet and stay for like a couple months because they didn't want to hear what people were going to say. So they kind of knew already that it was shit show and nobody was going to like it. But they wanted to do be a part of Star Wars to go on to another franchise and shit it up. And so they left us all hanging. So if we're going to be mad at anybody, don't be mad at George. It's not HBO's fault. It's not any of the actors' fault. It's those two's fault, in my opinion, because they didn't want to do what needed to be done. And in some respects, um, it's part of the reason that Brian Cogman was not contracted for longer because most of the best seasons or best episodes of any of the seasons, including this last one, were the ones that Cogman wrote and directed. Yep. Um, and they kept the argument here. Right. And they kept kind of kept him out of the show after the first after episode two, which is arguably pretty much everyone's favorite episode of the entire last season. Cogman disappears and he wasn't very much. I mean, like he becomes less or more and more scarce throughout the series because he was actually had read the books, all of them, and was trying to slavishly in his best way possible represent the books as properly as he could. And yeah. it, I think, became difficult for them to deal with. I mean, I know that there's been quite a bit of scuttlebutt about actors who had read the books that had come to them and complained that their character motivation seemed to skew from what was presented and what was extant of the books and they told them that they didn't want to hear it if you want to wrap it up so you can get on to making bigger movies or what you consider to be bigger properties i mean star wars is huge it's a huge property and to work for disney is a huge opportunity and i i understand all that but um you make a commitment to tell a story you should keep your commitment to tell a story. And I've even discussed with other people that this season, if we'd gotten a full 10 episodes, it might've been better. I think it would have been, I mean, you it, know, it would have given you given more time to wrap up the storylines. And I know in every show, there's going to be storylines that don't go anywhere that never get wrapped up. I mean, it's, it just happens, but they just, they left so much hanging and then kind of, half-assed finished it right which really is a disservice to the fans it really is and the actors yeah most of them are not real happy with what happened this last season <laughs> clearly I, <laughs> and i just want i just want to say this because there was a lot of complaining about kit harrington's acting in like seasons one two and three really <laughs> <laughs> like there's this like and Amelia Clark has taken some heat for not being and you know, I think yeah. we've all understood now that like seasons one and two part of her problem with acting is that all, she was like having like she had um, um aneurysms yeah brain exploding um migraines while trying to act and 
and then find out that you have aneurysm, you know what I mean? Like, and almost die. So like, I can't really, <laughs> we can't really be mad at Amelia Clark. And I think you, that, you look back at it and you go, you know, she's doing better with a migraine like that. I could. Right. And I, she still acts better than some people. I mean, you, <laughs> that are people that are famous and kind of a big deal. I just think she did a great job. And this, the last two seasons in particular, considering the scripts were garbage, their yeah. characters were unmoored and uprooted from their character arcs at the end of season three and kind of just like sent on plot trajectories without character development for three seasons or four. And that they landed in this place. They took lemons and dog shit and made, you know, lemon bars that might not be the best <laughs> lemon bars you've ever had, but they're edible. I love that scene at the bells. The last, you know, I really did where you see, she conveys on that, on her face. She gives such great face in that scene about, yes, she does. Oh you my God. Everything. Yes. And she and, really, she really gets that across. Yes. She really doesn't want to do it. She's really upset. But you know what? But she just is like, she just loses herself in her like, loss and rage. I can't rage. deal with this. Yeah. And Kit was amazing. The mm -hmm. look of sheepish shame and acknowledgement of one's own cowardice. Like, I, the, his fucking face for the last two episodes was just painful to look at and not yeah because he was tortured yeah he did great with it like like you said there's a lot of people who have bitched about the acting and especially like you said especially the first first three seasons i have no complaints with the acting in this season some of the writing definitely the acting no 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 they did they did great especially considering what they had to work Right. I think um, I will say this, that I, I, if there was a cumulative Emmy to be given to anybody, I would really like to see Alfie Allen get an Emmy for the entirety of the series. Because honestly, out of all of the story arcs, they did great with it. They the really very best that they did, even with the changes that they made to it, which were substantive enough to be noticed, but not enough to take away from the power of Theon's character development. Yeah. Like what they did with Jamie, which is a shit Ugh. show. Um, Jesus. Alfie Allen was fucking incredible. And anybody who tells you that Alfie Allen can't act or didn't do a good enough job, you tell them to go fuck themselves. Seriously, he was amazing. He was. It just, how much he just conveyed. He has so many scenes where he's not scam word. And yet at the same time, he's saying so much. So much with his right face. In his face. And like, his you know, anybody can Anybody can recite lines. But yeah. getting something across without saying a damn word, not and it's, can it's, do that. It's, it's where his eyes are. It's the way his facial expressions are. It's, it's his the way he's posture. His body the way he moves. Like every time that Ramsey spoke and he flinched. Yeah. Then that character arc of going from being this kind of fucking shithead that you don't really like in the books. Yeah. And and I, I'll be <laughs> honest, I took probably like the fourth week pov chapter before i softened up and was like okay theon's a fucking asshole but this nobody deserves this shit yeah like literally was like and then you watch him be completely broken down mm -hmm. and then just absolutely destroyed and then 
what he does, which is interesting in the books, they doubled down on the investment that Theon makes when he escapes Winterfell with Sansa, because in the books, he doesn't escape Winterfell with Sansa. He escapes Winterfell with Jane Poole. So he is risking everything for even less. And I'm not saying Jane Poole doesn't matter. She's Sansa's best friend, but reality is she's not Sansa and she's not Arya. She is a minor vassal to Winterfell's daughter. Yeah. But he is so horrified by, and knew Jane because she grew up basically in Winterfell. I mean, he knew he did the most courageous thing he could do. And considering what all he had been through, that he took that kind of a risk for Jane Poole is unfucking believable. And they did such a nice job with that in the show, just, you know, collapsing what happened to Sansa into what happened to Jane Poole. Um, which I was and wasn't okay with. There's some issues with that whole storyline too, although I understand why they did it for brevity's sake. I think that he did such an incredible job acting that and and selling that storyline, even though it wasn't exactly what it was in the book. You really have a sense of Theon's struggle with his own struggle with identity. He's the Kraken, except he's not. He's really a Stark, but he wants to be a Kraken. And he wants to be, you know, his father to be proud of him. And then he gets his identity stolen, basically, and destroyed. Um, He's created into a creature like Gollum, really. And Mm -hmm. then he finds his way back to himself or some semblance of himself. You, I just, I love it. I love Mm -hmm. it. I love him so much. I'm just, (laughs) I just love Theon's character. And the end, I was... I I all the sh- all the deaths in this whole last season. The one that I cried about was Theon's. It's so the only I. one I cried about. Yeah, I was just like, oh, are you kidding me? It's, I didn't. I really, honestly, didn't expect as many people that did make it out of Winterfell to make it out of Winterfell out of that. Yeah, I felt battle. like we got cheated a little bit. And I was like, you know, it's nice that they didn't kill off that many people, but. <sighs> Right. It was I, it was a good end for Jorah. It was a great end for Theon. And like we said with Lyanna Mormont, that was an was awesome f- fucking end for her. It was for her. And but, Varys, we all know he was gonna we all if you didn't know Varys yeah. was gonna go out that way, you were missing something somewhere. I knew he was going to, and I was like, because <laughs> you know, at the beginning you really don't wanna like him. You really don't, but you kinda end up having to. Yeah. Because he's another what ends justifies the means guy but let's you boil it down to everything Varys is just practical everything Mm -hmm. is about survival and that's that's it everything that he does to further everything yeah he might dress it up in pretty you know pretty phrases saying it's for the good of the realm it's all about this is gonna keep me alive I like being alive and it will he does have a serious even in the books despite like the little birds they don't get in this in the show but in the books they yeah. they tear those little kids tongues out so they can't speak yeah um which is why there's such a premium on them being able to read and write yeah but he despite that monstrosity that they do him and Illyrio Mopatis do to these little kids mm-hmm. and I'm not excusing it because it doesn't make it okay but he does have a serious feeling for the small folk and that is really what upsets him about all of these rulers is that he the was okay people are getting fucked over constantly. he was he was okay that Br- uh, Ned Stark's dad and brother got burned because they weren't small folk now 
if Varys had known what Jamie knew, Varys would have burned, would have found a way to kill the king. Yeah. Like, I think he, he may, would have. In no uncertain terms, he would have ended Mad King Eris. Or maybe, and what we don't know is that he was trying to. But Jamie, you know, did what Impulse told him when he didn't have his sister whispering in his ear and didn't have his father to tell him what to do. Jamie acted on honorable impulse, which is, I think, an interesting thing about Jamie when left to his own devices. Yeah. When left alone without the influence of family, he's a pretty decent fellow. He do- he generally does the right thing. I yeah. know people will make a big thing out of him threatening to put, you know, uh, Edmund Tully's baby in a, <laughs> in a trebuchet. Yeah. A catapult. I, I, and you know, it's city, but would Jamie have really done it? I don't know. I don't know. I think he knew that he could get what he wanted by saying that. Yeah. I think Jamie understands brinkmanship a little bit or had learned at least by that point, some skills at brinkmanship. Being able he to definitely s- understands war, plain and simple. That's yes. like the, the one thing he is super good at because war is easy. Yeah. It's us and it's them. And we want you just kill to the other guy and you're fine. Yeah. We live, they die, we're good. That's it. Yeah. It's shit simple. Strangely enough, sort of like John. Um <laughs> pretty much. I have to say, you know, Alfie Allen did a great job. Nikolai Coserwaldo did a fucking amazing job oh. as Jamie. And and considering that Jamie's story out of all of the stories was the most shitted up. Yeah. He did great <laughs> with what he had. It was the most shitted up. Yeah. Sweet baby Jesus, it was a fucking shit show. I I just want to say it was just a shit show. Um, but he did a great job. I yeah, do he hate really that last a rabbit out of his ass. Getting, he did getting that, you know. He did, and I really I, I I want to reiterate how much I hated the sword fight between him and Euron because it's just Deus Ex Machina as fuck. If you all are pissed off still about Arya killing the Night King, but you're not mad about Jamie and Euron, you can go fuck yourself too, because literally that was like. <laughs> Just so happens that just as Jamie finally gets to the back door of the Red Keep, who should come around the corner but you're on Greyjoy? You're like, really? Yeah. Really? Like, like really? Wasn't that fucking convenient? Yeah, right? And then, like, and then you're on, I just, no, it was just awful. It just, it's terrible. And then you're on. His ship exploding in dragon fire and there's not a fucking scratch on him. Right? I mean, come on. It's kind of like. bullshit. How come all the people that they could have they could have gotten from Daenerys's sunk fleet, the only one they managed to capture was Miss Sandy? Really? Yeah. Okay, plot armor much for like their bad their bad like attempt to like sew up all these disparate stories. Like you gonna really you're gonna do this? Wow. How did they get Miss Sandy? Seriously, she was on the boat. Right, she was on the boat. Yeah, out of everybody, how did they get her? And how did they know that they wanted to get that 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 particular person? They did somehow. They knew they get that particular person, and and out of all the people that washed up on the shore, you know, and in the bay, that was the one they got. They snagged. Like what? Because I mean, they could have done better if they'd gotten Grey Worm too, right? Or Tyrion? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like it was just I what. Like, okay. I mean, I get it where it serves a purpose, but honestly, it, it literally is just sort of like just a plot construct. I mean, I think it probably plays some part. Miss Andy dies at some point in the books and it becomes another chink in 
Daenerys is a mental armor. I agree, but I don't think it goes down at all like what we saw in the show. That was just like yeah, what in the actual just sloppy plot. writing. It's it just is sloppy writing, and it is face it. George R. R. Martin really doesn't, doesn't sloppy doesn't write. Do his sloppiest writing is actually the best parts of this show, which is the first two some, like the first two books. <laughs> the first two books in the series are better than most fantasy writers, but they're not the best. Mm-hmm. But his his prose style and his writing gets better as the books go on. So yeah. like like uh ugh, it's reductive as shit. The show and in some respects, I wow on the whole. So as a book reader, I'm pretty content with this last season in terms of plot points. I It does make me thirsty as shit for Winds of Winter. Yes. Because yes. I want to know what happens. Like, because I, I know now what happens, but I, I'm not one of those people spoilers apply to. I'm not one of those people. I don't care. You can spoil stuff because it isn't about the end destination. It's about the journey. How to get there? And I want to know how we get there. And I want to see Euron. I want me some Eldritch Apocalypse. I don't like, I, <laughs> I, I have spent so many years not reading horror because I just reached a point with it where I couldn't anymore. But the way that those chapters come in and the, and the purpose of Euron as a character and the whole juxtaposition between him and Bran, it's so important. And I, I want it. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need it. I need, I need to have that yeah. plot sorted out. I really do because there's bad guys in fantasy series that really are strike you. Yeah. And he ranks right up there in my head with Randolph Flag. Yeah. He's, he's definitely one that dicks. I've I've read I don't I couldn't even guess at how many books, especially in the fantasy genre. And after a point, it's like all the bad guys just kind of start rolling together. But you get some here and there where they just stick out, and yes. you can never forget them. Yeah, and you're on Greyjoy is definitely that. It's literally you're reading this wonderful medieval fantasy, high fantasy, sorted and limited sorcery, right? With an emergent magic class and there's political intrigue and all this stuff. And then you open a page and you're like, oh, where, who stuck this chapter from the Necronomicon in? <laughs> where did that come from? And I'm not a fan of Lovecraft, but I love these Euron chapters. They really... They really just tickle something in me in terms of the creep show part. It makes the magic, because most of the magic we see with the exception of the White Walkers, right? Seems like, it. why did they get rid of magic? It was stupid. It was kind of good, right? Being a green seer yeah. would be kind of good. And the werewolves would be kind of good. And and dragons right now, you know, I mean, yeah, Danny's burninating, but she's only burninating evil people. I mean, like, you know, you're like... You have this whole weird, like, typical fantasy reader expectation of the magic in this story. And, and so you're on. like, no, there's, there's really not much magic. And then, what, what the fuck was that? And then, and then, and then, and then you're like, oh, but it's, it's a force for good. It could be a force for good, except for Melisandre, whatever she's up to. But then, of course, you know, she does save John. But you're like, yeah. and, and, but it's the same magic that brought, you know, 
that Theros uses to bring Beric Dondarrion back. So, I mean, maybe it's just Melisandre's creepy or we don't understand all of her motivations, right? While we're reading the books and you're like, I'm yeah. not really sure I get this character. She's really morally gray too. And then, but then there's a Euron chapter and you're like, oh no, now wait a minute. There's a cowboy in this rodeo who is fucking wearing a black hat. Okay. Like whatever <laughs> he's doing is not good. Like whatever he's tapped into is actually bona fide evil. And like, you're like, this is some shit right here. Like, I, I love, I love that. He just And like I did, I've said it before. There are certain chapters I remember reading really late into the night. The, the last two books available. And <clears throat> these year on chapters, if I hit them at the wrong time of night, like I was like half asleep and you know, you're like attentive, but you're not like fully attentive to writing. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like, well, what the? Is take he take it back to the beginning of the chapter when I right? Is he is he tripping or did that really happen? Yeah, is he stoned or is this real? Is yeah, and um, and then his his stupid younger brother Victorion. Oh God, who is Euron Light? <laughs> you're like, you're like, dude, give it up. You're never gonna be able to fill that crazy bastard's shoes, right? I don't think anybody could. I love Victorian's like, no, I'm going to go to Slaver's Bay and I'm going to steal Daenerys and make her marry me before Euron gets her. You're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, um, maybe, but you won't that. have her for very long because you are the, you're, you're Scott evil. You're the Diet Coke <laughs> of evil. And one calorie, not evil you're enough. Right. <laughs> you're done. You're toast, fucker. He's your brother's not going to, you know, and then. There's been some really interesting fan meta meta analysis theories that maybe even Victoria in some of those chapters where he does get kind of weird is that what's really happening is that Euron is working him like Bran works Hodor. Yeah. Which is like, oh, fuck that. Wow. Oh, if that's for real. Oh, shit, son. Right? (laughs) The season's good. It ended well. I think it ended. I think what we got is what we're going to get in the books. I think there's going to be... wrapped up the actual show well. Mm -hmm. Not exactly happy with how it ended, but it wrapped up the actual show. Well, you know... Not necessarily everything in the book stories, but it's a definite end, but like most shows, still leaves room to expand. Right. Well, to Arya's taking off to sail off into fucking sunrise. Right. So I want I want that story. If that's actually what's going to happen, I want that because I could read about Arya forever. Yeah. It's the Alyssa Parnum thing, which I I don't know if you've read Fire, but I haven't. So she that that there's a precedent set for that character. And if Arya does, that'd be really cool to see her like do that. Yeah. I Um, haven't read it yet. But uh I think it's what we're going to get and I, and there are going to be people who are upset about it, but here's a, here's another thing that I think is really interesting about these books is like, yeah, it's a high fantasy novel, but George tells you pretty much from the very get go that he is interested in making arguments about the formulaic way in which fantasy fantasy is written. It's and one of those things I love about his book, it doesn't always go the way you think it right and i think some people are going to be upset because it doesn't end like lord of the rings i don't care because you're not expecting it it's like yeah that's all yeah not all all the bad guys are going to get punished and not all the good guys are going to get rewarded and it leaves you on a very dubious note because i mean 
How long do any of us think that if the North retains its freedom, that the Iron Islands aren't going to rise up in rebellion against Bran? Or, or that Dorn isn't going to tell everybody to go fuck themselves? Like, yeah. this alliance is tenuous at best. Yeah. And there is the prognosis for a happy ending that happens off screen or out, you know, outside of the books is pretty poor. The forecast is pretty bad, to be frank. What they got is the best of what they could do with what they had left, which I think is really an honest a portrayal of war. Mm-hmm. Um, a war that's protracted or wars that are protracted and that encompass as much as they do, there is that vacuum. Yeah, and it's they're... not going to be pretty and you can't tie it up with a nice little ribbon. Yeah, it's there. not gonna it's not gonna end up you know quite the way you want. I I like that Bran takes a crown or takes a crown because there's no Iron Throne left. Yeah, um, I but, like that. I heard a lot of people like I can't believe they got rid of the throne. And so- no, this damn throne has caused so many problems. Get Drogon her- did the right thing. He's yeah. the only person at the end of the, the end of the end that well, that's not true. John did the right thing, but Drogon, you know, he knew what killed his mother. Yeah, it wasn't John. Chair. Really. It was the pursuit of that fucking chair. Yeah, the um, fancy, sm- fancy schmancy chair. I loved that about it. Yeah, there, there's some melts it into slag and then takes off with Danny's body, and you never see him again. Yeah, they're going to Valyria. You know, he's going to go back where dragons belong. Yeah, and why not? I mean, the only people there are the stone men, and they don't give a shit, right? <laughs> Since so they're like, crazy. Well, they've been driven mad by their illness. They just need Sam to go amongst them and fix it. But, um, <laughs> which I hope Sam does discover the cure for fucking grayscale in the books. I kind of do. It's like one of the things that yeah. doesn't happen in the book that I really do, do hope happens or happens later in the books. Yeah. Um, but maybe too late. Um, there's an argument that, or a, a fan theory, and it's probably very likely because it isn't Jorah Mormont in the books who gets uh, Stone Scale, Stone Scale, but John Connington, who is with Young Griff, yeah. and he conceals it the whole time that because he comes to fight in Westeros, that there's a huge grayscale outbreak, and that might be where we get some taste of Sam's story in terms of being able to save somebody from grayscale. Yeah. Um, which I think will be fantastic because I love Sam. Yeah, he's he's a really enjoyable character. He really I is. Like I like his character arc in the books. And they mm-hmm. didn't do too bad with the show, except he's doesn't do as much in the show as he does in the book. Yeah, it, he's he's more there. I don't know, kind of to be John's Jiminy Cricket. He is, isn't he? Because John is so conflicted emotionally that he can't even make right decisions yeah and it's like well you know he does kind of do that but he's a far more complex character than that yeah yeah, i mean it was right to do what he did when he let the 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 wildlings through for all the reasons that he did yeah and the um because there were so many of them and if they'd all been whites it would have been really bad um, I do. I do have to say, with the last episode, I was so happy to see John go off. And I was like, "Dude, that's yes. awesome!" Yes, and the who people doesn't are like, like him? 
He's why so didn't odd. they just? Why didn't Bran wait until the Dothraki and the Unsullied left and just pardon John and make him king? And it's like because John didn't want to be king, and Bran knew that. Yeah, John. He honestly would have made a really bad king. Yeah, he would have, because he would have done everything wrong. He's he would have broke emotional. all the rules and too emotional and conflicted about what the right thing to do is. He would have been yeah. a rotten king. He was not the best knight commander. He was the best knight commander for the situation at hand, yeah. but he wouldn't have been the best knight commander. Yeah, he was what they needed at that moment, but... If you look back through the annals, not even in the top 10. I'm going to make, say, Dolores, Ed would have been the right one. Yes. I loved Ed Tullet. Like, I loved him. Ned Tullet was so great. Yeah, I I was that was one of the deaths and that I was sad about. But yeah. I was like, but his watch had ended, right? So like technically, yeah. it was the right ending for him. But I I love Dolores like all the way through the show. I thought he was that was another kind of bit character that has some more importance in the books than he does in the show. But was really well rendered by the um by the actor who yeah, played I him. I can't remember the actor's name who played him, but he did such a good job with him. That right mix of sarcastic and kind of an asshole, but yes. not necessarily wrong. Oh no! And you know <laughs> that curmudgeonly friend who says, "You know, you're gonna get us all killed," and yeah. you're like, "Yeah, I know," but and it's like, "All right, if all right, fucker, fine, I'll go with you to make sure you idiots don't get yourselves killed." Like that's what his like whole mo is. It's like, I just fucking love about him because Pip and Gren were like, if John says it's okay, we're all gonna do it, right? It's like, go John, and 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 Ed is like, well, this is stupid. Yeah, well, are you coming anyway? Well, yeah, fuck, I guess so. You know, like, I love that about him. It was like great. He was he provided a lot. Everybody of- has a friend like that. Everybody we do a friend like that. Every single person I've ever met knows someone who's like that. Yeah. I love that, Talit. I think that's kind of a prerequisite in life. Everybody has that friend. That friend. That one friend. It's like, Mm -hmm. And, of course, they're also the ones after you all get in trouble. Says, I told you fuckers this was going to go badly. Yeah, pretty much. But um, I so I wasn't I didn't have any problem with the disposition of it other than, you know, I. You know, to say that attachment to the character, you're like, yeah, I really wish they wouldn't have died, but it's a good way to go. Mm -hmm. And I love that John went north of the wall where he was comfortable, where he could just be Jon Snow. And I think at the end of the day, he was totally comfortable with just being Jon Snow. Yeah. And there was, you know, foreshadowing of that um, way back when uh, I think it's Tormund who said, you know that you've got a taste of life with the free folk. You'll never, you'll never want to kneel again. And right. he can, he can just be him. Yep. North of the wall, they don't give a shit who you are. It's what, what can you do for me? Yeah. What have you done lately? Yeah. You know, and uh, um, you were some fancy king south of the wall. Who gives a shit? Yeah. No, no one cares here, kid. Can you chop yeah. wood? Can you kill? Yeah. Can you hunt? You know, can you bring dinner. Can you tell a good story? Yeah. Not that anybody can beat Tormund's stories, but still. (laughs) 
um, you know, I I think that's like the best end for John and that he went with his good doggo. I was one of those whiny fucking girls who was all upset at John for having walked out on fucking ghosts like a fucking dick. Yeah, I, I kind of got that. I was like, seriously, you're just sending him away? But then again, you know. Well, I was just like, go over and give him a scritching. Yeah. Put an arm around him and say, I'm sorry, boy, but you got to go because I don't want where I'm going. I don't want you to follow. I don't want to. I don't want I, I, the world's a better place with you in it. Yeah. And, you know, I am one of those people and that huge difference in the show is and I understand there's only so much money for CG, but the dire wolves really got the fucking shaft. In yeah, the they show. Did. There's so much that includes them that doesn't make it into the show. Well, the interesting part, right, is that the the irony of all the ironies is that the only Stark with a fucking wolf at the end is John. Yeah, because Numeria is out running with a wild pack, eating. Which kind of makes sense. <laughs> which is awesome, by the way. That's some other shit that you don't get in the show that is for sure in the books. Is like Numeria is wreaking havoc every fucking where. Yeah, she's and got herself Arya a bunch of has a bit of warging going. Nymeria's yeah, dream is her. Yep, and Nymeria is killing all the motherfuckers. She, yeah, she got a big it's old like, pack. You know, that's a good, that's a good pairing there. Arya's yeah. skipping through killing people. Nymeria's going around killing. It works. Yeah, and so it's, they just left it out of the show. And I, like I said, I understand there's only so much money for CG and and you know, time constraints and whatnot. But that was that was one thing that did piss me off. It's like you know, but the. The wolves are supposed to be there. And right. it could just be my love of wolves totally taking over, but who knows. But I think it's interesting. I was glad that they put the good doggo with his daddy. Yeah. Like that. that made me happy that he's, he hung out with Uncle Tormund and waited. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love that. I love Ghost and John's relationship, particularly in the books. And when you realize that more than likely in the books, what accounts for John being able to be resurrected is that he works into ghost after his death yeah um and they, they leave that out in the show so that their relationship is super important like yeah. is super important so <clears throat> i was really glad to see that they reprise that at the end of the show i think bran will make a good enough king for a while i think he'll make a good enough king until he's sick of the job yeah i got better things to do than this shit yeah, I'm gonna go plug into the tree, into the tree net, and I'll be back. Yep. Eight years later, he wakes up and is like, you know, um, but <laughs> I, and I think Sansa got her arc completed. I think it was a good end for Sansa as well. Yeah, I have to admit that in the books, I hated Sansa from the very first. I just hated her yes. character. <laughs> and she's only starting <laughs> in that. It's really easy to not like. Oh, she's just like the every girl I knew in high school that I hated. Yeah. Oh my god, my really hair. Is. Oh my god, my dress. Oh my god, the boys. Oh my god, like oh my god. And then when bad things happen, they're like, oh my god. And you're like, why is bitch? This bad things happen in the world. Where have you fucking been? Like yeah, no she kidding. just drove me crazy for a long time, and I she just started to get interesting to me. Yeah. Where the books dropped off, like. Yeah, where she, she starts finally to... starts being a real person. Well, not, and not a fake, not a doll. Well, and the Pretty other is she comes out to. She's not a doll anymore. She stopped being a doll and decided to be 
she started really exerting her own agency in situations. She wasn't just I'm sick of people pushing, moving, parroting things, right? Parroting things to survive, like you know, pretending she loved Joffrey and pretending to kiss Cersei's ass when she's in, uh, you know, in uh, the Red Keep, and you know that she doesn't, that she's crying at night and she hates it, and that it's Mm -hmm. terrible, and that she is terrified and all that sort of stuff. And then when she gets in Baelish's claws and is in the veil and, and, you know, dealing with Robin and, and with Lissa, right. That are yeah. also kind of dangerous for her. I've got to say that was one death I looked forward to for a very oh, long Lisa time. Aaron's like, no, I got please. It. please God. Oh, Littlefinger. Oh, Littlefinger's death. Yeah, yeah. His character and, was such a great antagonist. Do you think he's going to go out in the books the same way? You know, I don't know. I honestly don't know, but I kind of hope so, or at least have Arya sneak up behind him sometime. Just as long as he still gets taken out, I'm happy. <laughs> right? He's a dick. Oh, he's terrible. They one of the podcasts I love, which is not a podcast. Um, they have a nickname for him. It's it's not Littlefinger. It's Creepy Finger. <laughs> <laughs> That works pretty well. It does. It works so well. He's just really... And at first, I liked him as a character in the beginning. And I think you're supposed to like him and then... And not like Varys. And then, like, slowly the veil is lifted until it's completely lifted. And you're like, wait a minute. No, I really like Varys. Like, somewhere towards the end of Game of Thrones, the first book, when you realize right before he shits all over Ned, right? You're like, Like, no, wait. Varys isn't so bad, but... Littlefinger, you're a dick. You're actually a little prick. You mm-hmm. scabby little shithead. Yeah, then you're like, oh, wait. Oh, wait. I, no, he's I, really I kind of didn't like him right away. He's a little too smarmy. Smarmy? Well, the word I'm looking for. Yeah, smarmy. You met my ex-husband. Well, yeah. I, smarm's never been something I didn't find attractive. I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah, but he's not a normal well, no, I won't go there, but, you know, but yeah, so, <laughs> but smarmy know-it-all, you know, chippies with the fucking, that think they're funny, um, you know, that's definitely Littlefinger's vibe in the beginning, and yeah, I kind and of, I respond well to that until and when then. when someone's so smooth, they should leave a trail, I'm just right. supposed to not like him, whether they're a good character or not, it's like, yeah. No, I don't like well, he's, he's a brilliant character for the purposes he, of what he serves in the books and yeah, even in the show. But um, and Ian Gillian and he was is brilliantly played. Yes, but, which any of you who haven't watched Peaky Blinders needs to watch Peaky Blinders because oh, he's in I it. Peaky Blinders. We could get off on a whole other conversation about that show, oh, but I definitely, definitely, we're gonna I love we're that gonna, show. We're gonna be good. I, I think that's an interesting. It was interesting to see him go down, and I liked how he kind of got caught right about the time that he thought he had everything he wanted exactly the way yeah. he wanted it. Yeah, yeah. and you least he's expect ready it. For his accolade, and somebody pulled the rug out from under out his from face. under him. I love that because Bran, right? Chaos is a ladder. I love the look on his face when Bran says that to him. Yeah, he's just like, oh, oh fuck, shit. oh fuck. What does this kid know? I love that. 
Right. How does he know that? I love all those moments where Bran just like drops a truth bomb on somebody, like uh-huh. even with Jamie, like at Jamie's trial, and he says the things we do for love, and Jamie's like, uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. It's like, oh, get some Bran. It's just a really fantastic. I thought that was really good. But yeah, I'm not as disappointed in this last season in terms of like where we ended up. And I'm certainly not disappointed by the acting, except for Lena Headey was totally under uh, utilized as well. And she was. And she going really to be was. because we didn't have the young Griff plot line. Because I think the marriage that takes place between Cersei and anybody else is I think that they try to arrange a marriage between her and young Griff in order for him to bloodlessly take the throne. Honestly, um, I, I'm Cersei just kind of reads like she's just not gonna get married. No, I don't think she intended. And and the best part is, I kept saying to myself, "Why was? I hope that Euron is prepared to just kill her." For a long time, I thought Euron was maybe gonna be the death of Cersei because. Honestly, I was kind of hoping for it because I was like, yeah. you know, that would just... So. Well, he marry her. I mean, he fucks her. He gets what he wants in terms of, like, having said he's had sex with her. But then, like, what does he need her for when she marries him? He doesn't need her. And the way he treats everybody in the books, right? Yeah. You expect that the minute that that wedding ceremony is over, it's going to be like the wedding scene where Lagertha marries that guy. Yeah. Right? Where she's waiting. <laughs> like, she's waiting for the guy who's, like, bad backstabbed her like 18 times like and she's uh-huh. like all dressed in her pretty white dress and she's all flowers in her hair and she's ready to go and as soon as he comes to do the stand there at the altar and to do the pre-promises and the whatnot and then she just fucking shanks his ass i was <laughs> thinking to myself yeah that's what urine's gonna do to Cersei because literally who needs that bitch after you get the iron throne exactly and she's smart enough to know that so I don't think she, you know, she would, I'm sure, totally, because it's a good political to mm-hmm. um, entertain the idea of a marriage and propose the alliance, but oh, never I think, follow through. See, and that might she be the... wants, and then, yeah, right. this is just not going to work for me. Well, and I think that might be the purpose of the pregnancy in the books, is that if she makes an overture to, to Aegon to get mm-hmm. married, Aegon won't know that she's pregnant to Jamie. Yeah. And she can just start the cycle over, right? Yeah. Marry a young man who is attractive and looks like Aegon, which is the the prince that she was promised, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she didn't get. And and at the end of the day that the first child right will be a Lannister anyway. And and maybe that's what Aegon finds out what's going on, what's up and then then the war starts. I, because I, I, I just don't believe that they would insert this pregnancy plot line without. I can see why they didn't finish it up. Yeah, but, but like what it really represents in terms of a, a plot beat in the books is that it might come into play somewhere in the attempt on Cersei's part to mollify young Griff, um, Fagon, fake Aegon, by offering to marry him. Um, or, you know what I mean, display the possibility of marriage. It reminds me, and especially since you think about the medievalism and some of the stuff, the War of the Roses and the other historical references that are in the books, it's a little bit like um, Mary Qu- Scott's <clears throat> yeah. marrying the much younger courtier, the Prince of Spain, wasn't it? Um, or so. Germany or wherever the fuck he was from. And she, but she, it was kind of a ruse. And he... 
eventually I think he dies from misadventure. She has him killed. I can't remember, but I, I it just reads a little, it reads a little bit like, you know, part more of the English, you know, wars over the crowns and the kingdoms in England, which is really what, you know, is part of the inspiration for mm-hmm. Westeros is, is this, this shit that happened in the establishment of house Tudor. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think he said that. In, uh, mm-hmm. in an so, yeah, because Lannisters, Lancasters, right? Roses, Starks, yeah. York. Yep. Right. So, like, there's a there's a thing there that that's part of the thing, and so that just reads a little um, Mary Queen of Scots to me. That Cersei would say, "Well, you could marry me, and then it would be even." Well, little does he know she has a bun in the oven. That's her brother's, and he's going to be a cuckold just like Rob. Like, and then when he figures <laughs> it out, it's like, oh wait, oh wait, not. <laughs> um, um that's not happening so like you know there's a thing about that but i just think that it was okay i think it's unfortunate that we didn't get 10 seasons because i think 10 seasons would have set it up pretty well um they could have done a whole lot more and i think it's unfortunate that we didn't get 10 episodes this last season too i mean i just feel like and i think this is the other thing too is while we're all like gnashing our teeth and tearing our clothes and going into mourning and crying this whole thing is that really the reality of it is is that i have the same problem with almost every single adaptation i've ever seen like i have never seen a really good adaptation of anything that was i could say without uh, any hesitation this is perfect my best example is probably the most heretical i'm going to give is i thought lord of the rings was a devolving spiral of garbage hot garbage um, I love the first one. Fellowship of the Ring was a really good movie. It was really well done. Two Towers was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But Return of the King, I, well, I mean, and for lots of reasons, and some of it has to do, I, I love, I did, I will say, I love the fact that we got, they didn't, Peter Jackson did not devalue Eowyn's importance. Yes. Right? But... Um, I felt really, I was really angry that they did Faramir dirty the way they did. Yeah. Um, in the movie, because in the books, he's, does, he fights off the ring and doesn't, that doesn't happen that way. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't taste like that. I hate it that then they just show Eowyn and Faramir standing next to each other. Never mind the like four chapters in Return of the King where they're convalescing in the hospital together and like yep. fall in love. Like, uh-huh. I'm like, it's the only like legit romance in the entire fucking series of books. And for a girl who, when I read this, so like, um, 40 some years ago when I read, <laughs> I read that series of books. There weren't female protagonists in fantasy, really. Eowyn was like, that was a big fucking deal. And then that she could be, kill the witch king and or, and be amazing and still get the right guy. Yeah. Maybe not the guy she wanted, but she got the right guy. Yeah. Was it a good adaptation? Yes. Yeah. Was it perfect? Absolutely. No, fucking not. Again, that's another one. There's just so much content used into those three books. Dune. Oh, don't get me started. Okay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give my hot take on this. Like Dune. Oh god. I I get it. People don't like whatever. The the sci fi series was eh. Eh. 
Um, yeah. I wish that Hollywood had given David Lynch the money he needed to finish to make, the fucking yeah. original because it was on par to be perfect. And he's got OCD to the point where it would have been perfect. But, you know, they didn't want to give him the money he needed and they didn't like dealing with his weird ass, which I don't care. He's a fucking genius, give him what he wants. And we would have gotten something <laughs> amazing because what we had was fantastic. And I've seen the director's yeah. cut with the fucking storyboards they stick in for places because... Which is so much better. Oh, God. So, like, I'm used to this. I'm used to being... Ooh, and I got over it a while ago. I guess maybe I got over it. What did, what did I say I got over it on? Me and Nathan were talking about this the other day. There was some adaptation recently that I saw, and I'm like, eh. But <laughs> whatever. I'm like, yeah, I'm over it now because the adaptations are just never going to be as good, and that's okay. And I'm not, I'm not going to cry about it anymore. I'm just going to be like, eh. Yeah, we got our hopes up because first three seasons of Game of Thrones was really you know, despite collapsing plots and despite having to, you know, narrow down some characters and despite some changes to the narrative in order to make it fit the television format in a 10 season or a 10 episode season. It still um, managed to keep to the, most, of, most the, of what was important major plot, lines. plot lines and the character development for the characters that you were really going to care about in the show. And then, then it just went somewhere east of Eden really <laughs> and um disappoint so there's that but i i think that's the reason people are pissed the people that just watch the show are mad about the final season really is because they don't have context that we do well and you, so for them honestly, danny looks like a big always deal expect to get what you want and oh. who watched dexter was anybody happy with the way that ended that didn't and nobody really. did that right and then lost Oh, I mean, there's a number of things well, that you know, was really good for a while, and then it just kind of went off the rails. Same thing well, with it was really, really good, and then just it's like somebody got bored. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I look at it and just I'm like, I, I, you know, I can't be mad about it. And honestly, I think this is a better season than six and seven, where the characters show up, the way they present in season eight is about where you would expect them to present if we had gotten Winds of Winter and dream of spring in terms of their anger their jadedness the post-traumatic stress the all the rest of it like all of that part of their character development we just didn't see it on screen like because yeah. it, it just wasn't given to us because yeah. the writing was just not what it could have been to support that character development and the the show didn't do it but like for book readers we're like yep danny looked like she could go break bad she could have gone either um, way john is a coward Yes. More so maybe even than Sam. Bran is. Will at least admit it. I'm a yeah. coward. But when it really, really, really fucking matters, he steps right. up. Bran is a broken eye wind button. And you know he's going to be as soon as he figures out how to make it work. Yeah. Like, right. Um, Cersei is a monster. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you know, we can't be too mad. Like I said about adaptations are not going to be great. I've just given up hope. I have kind heard of gotten that, to the point where I just heard okay. Yeah. <laughs> to separate them and not think of the book at all. Because otherwise which, it's just like, that's not right. That's which I think if a person could do that with Game of Thrones, they would be adequately surprised. And I and I have said, and I, one of the posts I did manage to like put up on Reddit, I said that. 
I'm like, as adaptations of high fantasy go, this is the best we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Is it great? No. But it's better than the rest of them. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, what else can you say about it? I, I, as high fantasy goes, it is for sure. It, it's an extravaganza visually. Um, Definitely. It's, you know, and the acting is fucking stellar um, pretty much across the board. And I know we talked, gushed about Alfie Allen and Amelia <laughs> Clark and Kit Harrington and Nikolai Coster-Waldo, but it's mm-hmm. all of them really. Yeah. Um, it's really all of them. The, the whole cast was just fabulous. Maisie Williams is really good. Um, I love Ian Glenn, particularly yes. since Jorah is also Uncle Creepy Finger in the books <laughs> and not a good guy. Yeah, but and Ian Glenn, you really don't want like, to like. Don't and he, like him, but just he sells it. He does. He, he sells does. it. I. Did love, I can't think of the actor's name now, and you maybe know, but um, I love Davos. I love Davos in the books, and I love Davos in the show. Oh, I can't remember the actor's name. Yeah, he's perfect and cast. The Hound perfect is cast. perfectly cast, and yes. really, I mean, they're just all of it. It's, 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 it's all exceptional. And Lena Headey, of course, and Peter Dinklage, of course, Connellith mm-hmm. Lee, of course. Oh, my God. I mean, they're all just so good. As you can tell, this conversation could have gone on, and it did, actually, for quite a lot longer. Um, but I ran into several technical difficulties throughout the recording of this. I use Discord when I have a guest to pick up audio, and there's a bot that you use for Discord that does this. And at some point on both sections of the recording that I did for this show... <clears throat> I dropped out for like a whole, I don't know how long, about 45 minutes. And then Summer dropped out for about 45 minutes, making pretty much the rest of my recording unusable. So I liked the little fade there because honestly, we ranged to all sorts of topics. I think I'm going to have to have Summer back to discuss adaptations in general we had some very interesting side conversations throughout the entirety of the recording that had to do with other adaptations and things that we had enjoyed and what works and doesn't work that doesn't, it, well, it applies, I suppose, in this circumstance, but doesn't apply specifically to Game of Thrones. I'm really glad that y'all hung in there for the whole two hours of this. I'm not really going to get into my whole crack pottery today. From the standpoint that I, after going through what I went through to edit this episode, I'm kind of really volatile at the moment. And I'm really not thinking about anything in specific other than this silly recording program and the difficulties I had. And I could rage about that for a while. If anybody knows of any better sort of long distance recording for this sort of thing it's set up so somebody could call in with their iphone or their android we could do a whole conversation and record that way and make that work with audacity i would love to hear your suggestions but 
Right now, I just need to chill and enjoy the day, um, despite the fact that it's now raining. And it is Monday morning, Memorial Day morning. I guess if I want to have a rant this morning, it's not really a rant. What I'd like to say to folks, just in closing, is on a day like today, Memorial Day, a day in which we as a nation consider and remember our fallen in wars, that... The best way to honor our fallen in wars is to not have any more wars. Unless we absolutely must. And I personally believe that there's probably an out for almost all of them. I will uh, not argue about World War II. But on the whole, there is generally a way to make diplomacy work and... When all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail, which is one of the reasons I don't support a lot of money spent on military buildup because it justifies its use. And that goes back to um, Henry David Thoreau. He says so rather eloquently about standing armies and then justifications for standing armies means continual aggressions. And So that's where I'd like to leave it for Memorial Day. My way of remembering our fallen is to be grateful for their sacrifices and respect their memory, but to hope that in the future we find less reason and excuse to create more folks that we have to memorialize in this way because war is a horrible thing. And that's my take on it. So you have a great Memorial Day. Well, the crow and the raven were sitting on the vines Watching as the vultures circled in the darkened sky And the crow said, Mr. Raven, it's obvious to me That there's trouble for as far as I